Mr. Derek Veenhoff. He's better known as Deke. Drinking liquor with DJ Deke, we out laughing. Yo, Deke. Yo, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Decast. I'm here. It's episode 84. We're with Frank Nitt, the legendary Frank Nitt of Frank and Dank. What's going on, man? What up, though? What's going on with you, brother? Chilling, chilling. So what? I wanted to ask you firstly about uh, February 6th. We got yeah. uh, Dillafest Digital. What Can you tell us what that is and what's uh, what that's all about? Um, Dillafest Digital is going to be an online uh, celebration of Dilla's, uh, you know, life legacy, his birthday, and and also it's the 20 year anniversary of Welcome to Detroit, uh, which is, you know, one of his seminal solo records, and and it's a great thing that I happen to be on it. Ha. Anyway, so uh, yeah, no, um, so you know, it's it, it, it's Dilla month, and you know, being that we're in the times we're in with COVID and the restrictions on, you know, people being able to gather and all these different things, you know, uh wanted to search for a new way to, you know, present something for the people that love Dilla and support him every Dilla month. You know what I'm saying? So Dilla Fest Digital was born and, uh, you know, me and, and uh, my partner over at Fuse Ecology, Aja, peace, what up, Aja? Uh, you know, we came up with this idea and, and it's just, um, it's a, it's a mixture of everything. It's a little live music, DJs and whatnot you know, some vintage footage from different places and whatnot, uh, as well as uh, as a, a ton of interviews about Dilla and his work and his work ethic. And, you know, for me, I wanted to kind of cross all the things. So we talk about music, but uh, it's all some things in there for producers and some technical speak. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, it's just a sure. little bit of everything. It's, it all encompasses Dilla, you know what I'm so saying? There's a, lot, there's a lot of surprises, or can you name drop anybody we're going to be hearing from or seeing? Or, uh... Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we we put out a list of folks, but, you know, um, obviously we got his mom and, and his brother, Illa J, and then, you know, we got, you know, celebrities like Afion Crockett and Robert Glasper and Terrace Martin and, you know, hometown heroes wow. and, like, Guilty Simpson and T3. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Of course, and, and, and uh, Man, a, a lot more, just a lot more. It's a lot of a lot of interviews, so it's, it's going to be very dope. And again, we got some. You're gonna hear dope Dilla music all night. Uh, uh, man, like I said, great interviews, some classic vintage footage that you know rarely seen stuff. Uh, you know, I'll be hosting, of course. And man, it's gonna be a great night. You get a little bit of history, you know, a little bit about where he come from, how it started. So some crazy tidbits about him as a young man and and him going towards being the guy we all end up knowing by the name of Jay Dilla. You know what I'm saying? So, of course. Uh, yeah, no, a great night, great experience, man. That's awesome. So now, do is this a free event or do people got to buy tickets or? No, it's a it's a free event. It's a free cool. event. You'll be able to uh uh watch uh across different platforms. You know what I'm saying? So you ain't got to stick to one platform, but. We'll have a general platform and you can go to Dillafest.com or, or check out, you know, uh, uh, Dillafest at uh, IG and get updates. But yeah, no, you'll be able to go to Dillafest.com and we'll have some exclusive merch. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be some giveaways. Uh, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot going on, man. It's going to be a beautiful night. 
Uh, it sounds awesome. Um, yeah, man. And maybe we can, yeah, that sounds like it's going to be a lot of cool stuff. Maybe we can preview some of those stories tonight. Um, of course, I want to get into the history of Frank and Dank. We, it's too mm-hmm. bad we couldn't get uh, Dank uh, Harvey on here tonight, too. But um, maybe we'll have yeah. him on another episode. Um, yeah, we're in two opposite sides of the world at this point, almost. True. He's in <laughs> Toronto these days? Is that? Uh... Yeah, yeah. He's in Toronto, way on the East Coast and in Canada. And I'm in L.A. on the West Coast in America. You know what I'm saying? Didn't he connect with 40 over the or? Uh, from OVO, is he have a OVO? Connection yes, yes, sir, yes, sir. That's you know, Dank is uh Dank is a very um, uh, personable person. You know what I'm saying? So you never know who who Dank might know and be hanging out with. One time, you know, he was hanging out, and we it was like a few days later. We was at the studio or something, watching TV, and Ving Rhames came up on the TV. And he was like, "Oh, that's my man." I said, "What?" He said, "Yeah, no, we was hanging out." In the club, you know, I said, Ving Rhames? He said, yeah, Ving Rhames, man, that's my guy. <laughs> so, Dave, you never know who Dave is going to be talking to, you know what I'm saying? But, yeah, OVO is, is his man. You know, uh, OVO show a lot of support for Dave's son. Dave's son is a, uh, an incredible basketball feed you know uh, Yeah, I was going to mention I, his son, I, I, yeah, and he I, does I, music I, too, right? Yeah. Well, no, that's the older son, Main Soul, is the music guy. Oh, okay. And then okay. he has a younger son, Jermaine, who is the basketball guy. Uh, so, okay. And Jermaine is a younger, you know, 16-year-old into his fashion. And, you know, OVO show him a lot of love, get him a lot of the OVO gear and that type of stuff. And it's love, you know. His pops is, a again, a, a, a personable, incredible person. So you never know who they're going to be talking to. Yeah, he seems like a very intelligent guy. You know, he does the Instagram lives a lot, and he'll just tell stories and kind of um, talk about the industry and different things. It just seems very, like, insightful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. You know, Danks lived the interesting life, man. Like, He'll tell you in a minute to come from where he come from and to be where he is, is a blessing for him. You understand? And so he lives that he embodies that, that humbleness and that being grateful and, and just enjoying it. You feel what I'm saying? Mm. So yeah. take, take us back. Uh, how did you meet Dank then and, and form Frank and Dank? And maybe uh, I'm sure that coincides with maybe meeting Dilla. I know you guys met when you were very young, right? Was it 12 or 13, something like that? Yeah, yeah. I was 12. Dilla was 13, I think. Dank might have been 13 as well. But it was like 1986. Um, they had already knew each other from uh, elementary school. I moved into the neighborhood at the beginning of like middle school, so sixth grade. Uh, so that's when we met. Uh, Frank and Dank didn't come around till that was 86. Frank and Dank came around maybe 94. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, But Dank was already Dank. His nickname, well, his nickname came, his whole nickname was President Dankworth. And it came from a, a record Dilla had in his collection, right? Mm. And uh, we called him that because at the time, he was the only person in the crew to smoke weed. So whenever he would come around, you know, a whole bunch of weed smokers in the room are going to immediately smell mm. pungent weed. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So we gave him the name uh, President Dankworth. So Dank was Dank. They didn't come because of Frank and Dank, the group. Uh and we both were kind of like as as youngsters, we all were dancers, right? And then I branched out to DJing because Dilla taught me, showed me how to DJ. And then me and him started DJing parties, and and you know that's how we was getting our little high school money, DJing parties and things of that nature. So I was DJing. Dank was still dancing and, and messing around with rap a bit, and then you know Dilla was well, kind of doing everything, DJing, rapping, dancing, the whole shot, right? And, and, you know, the rest of us are still dancing as well. But it was like dancing and DJing for me. And 
and slum uh, by 10 and T3, we all went to high school together. Mm-hmm. So in the lunchroom, you know, slum, like me and Batan was the hands. We would beat on the tables and make beats for them to rap to. And uh, they came and they had worked on the song like the night before or something. And, and Batan and T3 did their verses. And then, you know, on a whim, T3 was like, man, you should write a verse to this, Frank. Right? And that's how I started rapping. So I was dibbling and dabbling, rapping around. And then I got in a group, got out the group. And then I was kind of over Dilla's house working out. He was kind of helping me out. You know, little challenges. Hey, Frank, make I'm gonna make a beat in 30 minutes. We got 30 minutes to write to it once it's done. Whatever we got, we got to record. And that's how we sparred and you know got sharp with the pen. Uh and Dilla, uh Dank, on the other hand, was kind of more in the streets. He had a job, plus all of the other things that was going on, and just kind of just living, living the life. He was he was living that hood coming up, trying to find a way out type of thing. And music was there and it was his love and his passion, but he had to do other things to make sure survival was first. You get what I'm saying? Mm. So one day, again, uh, T3 and Dilla, they always loved Dank's voice. And again, Dank would rap sometimes, but he he wasn't really going to the studio a lot. Just before it was time for us to actually do the Frank and Dank thing, he had started going more often. But when the, the initial kind of, hey, man, y'all should be a group, man. Frank and Dank, y'all should do a group. And it was T3 and and, and Dylan, mm-hmm. right? And, and they was like, yeah, you know, yeah, y'all should do a group. This is like 94. And we'll help y'all. Don't even worry. We'll help y'all. So, you know, me and Dylan had already been sparring in the studio anyway, uh, helping me get better on my pin game. Um, so him and T3 said, okay, we're going to help y'all with song structure and just making sure y'all get, you know, cadence and things of that nature correct. And, and of course, Dilla going to make the beats. And let's just try this Frank and Dank thing. And that's how it started. And we just put it out recently um, on the uh, St. Louis album by Frank and Dank. We just put out last year or the year before, actually, now it's 21. Um it's the first song we ever recorded in 95 in the studio that oh, we took no to way. the studio. The and mixed, it's, oh. it's called Young Buck. Hmm. And it's, uh, it's the first song we ever did in the studio. Like we recorded it at home, but we took it to the main studio, got it mixed and Dylan mixed it and all this. So this is 1995. And that was like the first Frank and Dank joint. She's just that a young was, buck. She's a young buck. Yeah, That's the that hook. joint. Yeah. Yep. Yep. With, with T3 on the hook, right? Oh, shit. That, that, wow. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. That's T3 on the hook because that was, you know, the formula. T3 was... He had a hook for us on that one. So, yeah, put the hook there and we'll come with the bars. So, uh, yeah, no, that. So that's how Frank and Dan kind of derived. It was we were all friends. We were all doing music things. And Dank was already Dank. But it was it was T3 and Dilla who said Frank and Dank should be a group. Well, so so Dillo has music in his, his family background. Was it his dad played bass and he, he played he toured with the Globetrotters, was it? Uh stuff like that. His mom, I believe, um, sang. His, his mom is is trained in opera singing. Right. Uh his dad is a writer and, and musician. His dad actually wrote the song uh the It's a Shame. It's a shame. His dad wrote that. Okay. Uh and uh like so, the, and his dad, his dad also has a jazz background as well. Mm-hmm. And even when Dilla was young, like 
in the house, like his dad had a doo-wop group and his mom. So he was listening to doo-wop in his living room. He'd be in the basement and they'll be doing doo-wop rehearsals upstairs in the living room. Like, and then as well as church things. So yeah, super musical. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's probably one of those like nature nurture things where he had both. He, it was in his DNA in a sense. Right. Because, and then it's also like you're surrounded by it in your life. So, but what, yeah. you know, this like uh, the telephone game thing happens when you talk about Dilla here, like, Oh, he was DJing when he was two, but is that like accurate or is it, uh, you know what I mean? Listen, like, tune into Dilla Fest. Okay. There is a find story out. in Dilla Fest that you're going to hear okay. that. Oh, my oh my it's it's about that type of thing it's about that well then no spoilers so, we can leave it for dillafest uh yeah we'll leave it for dillafest skip over it's, that it's, one it's incredible though wow yeah um so so you mentioned uh you know when you hear about this a lot that dilla's work ethic and you know maybe mm-hmm, you might mm-hmm. call him a perfectionist or you, you mentioned that he was you know structuring things and telling guys, people what to, how they should approach things and whatnot how, mm. how do you what do you attribute that to like his family background where does that come from is it just something that just appeared just like his talent was just kind of out of nowhere and in, in in him in I, um or? i think it, i don't think it was out of nowhere it was a uh, i mean obviously by his family it's going to be fostered just because they kept him in church singing and doing different things anyway musically right mm. but uh dilla was really really smart like gifted smart mm-hmm. right but for lack of a better term he was really stubborn too so he was a guy if he locked in on something he would figure out how it worked like internally like not just the basic functions I'm going to figure out how t- this thing ticks and then I'm going to make it tick to the beat I want it to. Right. Mm, yeah. And that's how he approached things. So you got to understand that he would pour over something until he got it. So it was no, he would be able to make these direct because he knew because he studied and, but it might not be on everything. Like say cars. I, I don't care about that, right. but this music, I know all about this. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So here, here's an example. When we were, you know, 14, 15 years old, 16, he was making beats, right? And, but he, and it probably was more like 14, 15, 13, 14. And he didn't have a, a, a beat machine, right? So he was making beats on dual cassette decks and he had two of them, right? And they call them pause and record because that's what you had to do. You had to pause this mm-hmm. one record and just loop it over time over four different tapes to get your full beat. Right. So he had these two upstairs. He had an upstairs attic in the house where he had his drum machines and music and stuff. up there. So he went and went up there one day and he had the tape deck, one of them taken completely apart. Right. Mm-hmm. But it was working. It was working. He was using it. And I'm like, yo, what, what happened to the thing? He was like, no, I, uh, I was trying to figure out, how I could slow the tape deck down. So he went and took the tape deck apart and found the idle screw for the cassette player so he could get his sound, he could turn it up and speed up his samples and get you know his samples the way he wanted. Right. He could turn it down and get his samples slowed and warped out if he wanted. Like Damn. he figured out how to change the tempo of a tape deck. Yeah, that's it. That reminds you of like the 80s and not early 90s, like a RZA, early Wu-Tang kind of stuff or like yeah. different guys in the 80s. They get, the DJs and the early guys were, were taking this stuff apart. And yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, 
I say that to say that he had he could whenever he felt as though it was needed, he could have laser focus. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And and that was part of his genius that apply that to listening to a record for samples. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Now he's nitpicking that record by the second, not by the bar, not by, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like he's really every other second he's listening to what's happening and that's how he's going to find something weird or something different or something hidden way back there that he's going to pull forward for what he hears. You understand? So Right. Yeah, that's 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 I think that kind of explains, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, well what's crazy about that to me too is that Okay, so he's such he's so precise like that, but then at the same time, you'll hear from like Busta. We got the diligence beats for that one mixtape. He said, "I got a CD of beats. It wasn't even mixed. Nothing. It was all rough, and I just took it. Like it's it's almost like like did Dilla rework a beat a lot at all? It seems like he would just make him in yeah, five yeah. ten minutes, or what do you no did, no no work he on it all a, night and kind of he made he made pause in fifteen minutes, right? Hmm. But uh." Say like the track on the L's I track on Welcome to Detroit. There was like four or five different versions of that, mm-hmm. changing samples and just getting the right feel for it. So it all depends, right? It all depends on what he what he doing and what he feeling at that point. Yep. But even those quick ones have a focus. If he made it quick, he already had what he was gonna do in his brain, and it was right. just a matter of hitting the button and turning the knob. You know what I'm saying? Right. So yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So what can you tell you mentioned that, you know, Dill didn't have an MPC at one point. So what can you tell us about Amp Fiddler and uh, meeting him uh, when, in that whole story? Well, you know what? Amp is going to be at, at Dillafest. So I'm going to just kind of. There you go. We can skip that one, too, then. <laughs> I'm going to let Amp. But no, Amp is pivotal. Like, he was the first real studio that we went to. You know what I'm saying? Where we mm. went to consistently and it had a decent setup. And he allowed, like, Amp, because he had a house. He had, like, a sanctuary in the hood. You know what I'm saying? And it was a place that, you know, producers, rappers, and different things that, you know, he dealt with or allowed in the hood could come there, be safe and make music. And then you had him there to help you, his brother, Bub, you know what I'm saying? Like, so uh, RIP to Bub, it just, man. And for like, people who don't know, he, he he played with George Clinton, right? Is that right? Yeah, 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 he played with George Clinton, plus his own, you know, illustrious solo career and like Amp's incredible, right? So, uh, yeah, no, um, Amp is pivotal to to what we did as as youngsters. From, you know, out of that slum family tree type of thing, mm-hmm. all of us passed through those doors. You know what I'm saying? Well, the early us, you know, the slum, the T3s, the Batins, the, the QDs, the the Danks, the Franks. The, you know what I'm saying? Amp mm-hmm. was that guy. Um, he was no, the OG. I, shout out to Amp, and we'll see. We'll get to hear more about that uh, Dillafest then. Um, yes, sir. Now, when uh, Dilla met Tip, and when they did uh, Amplified, I was always confused because I know roughly the story about the Uma as far as uh, Dilla was. Dilla and Tip, I guess, worked together on the beats, I'm assuming, but it was credited to the Uma. Was the Uma just Dilla, or was that... No, it was uh, Tip, it was, uh, Tip Ali Shaheed, and, and Dilla. Okay. And then yeah. I think they added, uh, I want to say Raphael Sadiq. But maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm wrong. But they added a fourth person. And what was that? Because of label issues? Or why, why did they have to come up with a name? Or just for fun? <laughs> nah, I mean, it was, you know, just a collective. They was all working True. together. Right. And it was just, you know, it was a, a way to kill a lot of different birds under one name. Like True. Dilla, obviously, at the time, was known for the hip-hop. And, you know what I'm saying? Hadn't really smacked everybody on the 
R&B side yet, you know, a la the Badu and different things, right? So, okay, but uh, they could, they were working like, you know, Ali Shaheed was already doing R&B bangers outside of Uma and things of that nature. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it was just kind of combining all those entities together and, and, and being able to make a bigger push. Yeah, the Amplified uh, beats are uh, next level. Like, uh, all obviously, all of Dilla's beats are amazing. But, like, the Amplified album itself, I don't know. That was just a, a really pivotal kind of album, at least from my point of view. That, that yeah, you know, Amplified is 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 incredible. It's an incredible <laughs> record for me. Like, I mean, you'll you know, still hear it in movie soundtracks and stuff like that these days. Like it's still it's twenty yeah. years, you know, going strong. Definitely um, so. Can we jump to uh, the album Forty Eight Hours, the Frank and Dank album? The, there's a lot of mystery and mystique around this album, and uh, there's a little bit of history there where uh, the album was done twice, basically, and it never officially released. Is that how how it worked? But it, but it's out these days. Um, it's officially out now. Yeah, via Delicious Vinyl. Uh, to answer that question, uh, two versions. Yes and no. There's a, a the, samples, the samples were changed to real instruments. Is that the? Uh, well, no, 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 no. Uh, only two of the beats where it was the the sample had was oh. just changed where he just did it. The rest of those beats were all done brand new from scratch by Dylan. Okay. Uh, there's a misconception that we turned the album in and they got turned down and then we went back and did it. That's not what happened. That's bullshit. Oh, okay. That's not what happened. What happened was, uh, we started working on the album. When we started working on the album, we got like seven joints in over what you would consider a traditional sample-driven J. Dilla beat, right? Dilla went, had a meeting somewhere, saw some different things, and it changed his perspective on what we was doing. He came to the studio and told us, look, I'm changing all the beats on the album, right? Uh, I'm y'all keep y'all vocals. The vocals gonna stay the same, but I'm gonna change all the beats, right? And I said, okay. Uh, and he said, just finish the record rapping over the beats you had already picked to rap over. Make the songs y'all wanted to make, but then I'm going to change them all, right? And then we had I, I, we had a, a huge. Uh, convincing section session for uh, the two songs that stayed the same, mm. which was uh, 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 the mom joint, my dukes, and keep it coming. The last two records on the album, everything else was straight from his brain, and he just started over. Wow! So, but that wasn't the label had never heard the other version because we did it halfway through the record. Right, right. So there was no ever a turn in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So and the, the thing we, that you said that changed his mind was it that a session with Dre or something like that? Or he had went to a, a session. It was a D12 session, but Dre right. was in the D working on D12's album, and uh, he saw he saw what he saw, and, <laughs> and it just checked. I mean, he saw that how Dre worked. He saw that you know Dre yeah, he got his MPC and you know. But he got musicians here, and it, you know what I'm saying, like, mm. and he got five NPCs set up to get this sound from this guy and this that, you know. So he was like, "Hey, well, if he can switch it up, I'm switching it up. Whatever." 
right? Mm-hmm. I could do all of it, right? So he switched it up, and then we turned that record in, and the label said, okay, bet, we love this album, but we need something more commercial. Classic, classic label uh, statement. Uh-huh. And that's where Take Your Clothes Off came from. Love that joint. Yeah. I mean, it's, we it's made commercial. it. We, hey, come on. For then, no, no, 2003, we, that's fine. No, no. We made, you, see, you see, people have this misconception that they turn the record down. Yeah. No, they approved the record. And we went to do the photo shoot and got it mastered and the whole thing. But then the lady who was there quit. Oh. And she went over to Capitol and she signed Chingy. Come on, and, and then and then and then and then the label started to fold. Uh 9-11 happened. Yeah. And then guess what? All of a sudden, everything dried up. Everybody was getting dropped. Like when we were still up and in our doing our shit, it was people from the label, not I mean artists coming like, yo, our budget's messed up. Everything is messed up because the label's shutting down. We didn't know when we signed the deal that the label was about to shut down. So there's this huge misconception. No, we didn't get a. We I negotiated our release from MCA. Hmm. I called MCA for like six months straight every day until yeah. I got to the president of the label, and he was trying to A and R Commons record and moving artists from MCA to Geffen, and he had Mary J Blige and Snoop Dogg and all these major artists. And then Frank and Dank way down here on, you know what I'm saying, on the total pole. Mm. And we got out of that deal and we own 48 hours. So there's a huge misconception about what happened. Yeah. People have it twisted, but you know, that's how it goes. People are always going to have things twisted and have their own. Like, and I can't be chasing people around trying to nope, make that's their true. opinion. I think even you know the, wiki, the wiki page says that uh, too. Maybe... Maybe yeah, we can change it. But you or... know, you know that you could, you could, you can go and change it. You know oh, what I'm saying? Okay. Now you, you... say Frank told me to change it, and yeah, now it. you know the real story. So go change. You can go change right. it because that's some fan put it up there. You know what I'm saying? Or somebody yeah. else. I didn't. I didn't put a dank ain't put it up there. <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? So, uh, so like yeah, that type of that. There's a huge misconception about that record. That's fine. So it's, with the time that record was actually then you guys were working on that in the late '90s then. No, no, 2000, 2001. Oh, 2000, okay. We were in a deal with MCA for three years. Hmm. We got signed in 2000. In 2001, because we had worked on the album from the end of the year, we got, our deal was finalized and we got our checks from MCA doing Winter Music Conference in 2001. Hmm. Right? So that's January, or yeah, January 2001. We worked on our album all the way up until the summer or something like that. And then the, all the MCA things started folding. Yeah. Hmm. Right. Then it was months of nothing. And then they, the lady quit. They hired somebody else. And that person said, okay, let's do the photo shoot. So the, the December after September 11th, we flew to New York. We were in New York. Hmm. There's pictures of that that just came out not too long ago. Dilla got on a mink. And we sitting behind him with two girls on our laps. That's the photo shoot from December 2001. Okay. MCA. And MCA paid for that. We mastered our album that weekend. All of that. So we were going. But then the dude who was there got fired. And then it was three more people that took his place in the preceding months. So, mm-hmm. and then it, from there, like, 
you know, what are we going to do? We was the bottom of the totem pole in comparison to the major platinum artists they already had. True. So, so yeah, no, uh, we, we did the right thing. We, we got out of the deal. We got the paperwork to say, okay, y'all can get out and y'all can have this album back. True. Well, that's, that sounds like a mishmash of just, yeah, a quagmire of crazy issues at the time. Hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was it was the perfect storm for bullshit, realistically. <laughs> so taking it a little further back. So when Dilla first started making beats, like, was there a moment where maybe you heard something where you noticed like, holy shit, like what this guy's making is something really special? Or was it just mm. from the get go? It was for me, it was from the get go. Huh. And like, I would assume that he didn't let a person hear anything until he was ready or he thought it was ready. You understand? Right. So before I ever heard anything, he probably was, you know, perfecting as much as he could at that point. And then, okay, hey, man, check this out. So no, I don't remember a time when it wasn't, when he wasn't ahead of the curve for where he was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And what about uh, more internationally in the Soul Quarians and the other artists that he would eventually branch out to? Uh, initially, mm -hmm. the beats were for Slum Village. Is that the first... Or Slum Village is that the earliest uh, Dillard Productions or Far Side? Well, no, Slum was probably the first. I mean, first down, the, the joint thing he did with Fat Cat, right? That the him and Fat Cat were on an actual group together that was signed. Yeah, uh, yeah, they did a, a single deal for that situation. I think it was maybe it was an album deal, something like that. But uh, yeah, so first down was probably, I mean, kind of the first deal of things but i don't know that like that everybody would know immediately i think far side was the the big kickoff but you had um the mad skills record you know this is outside of detroit outside of the crew mm -hmm. you had the mad skills record first and then far side and i think tribe came after that so was that the point where uh everyone just obviously heard the music and they're like, okay i gotta now I want a Dilla beat kind of thing. Uh, you know, it was just yeah, a great I mean, blind situation. Yeah, everybody just started, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and I will say this. Tip Tip was champion, championing him in the industry, like playing his music for other industry heavyweights. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Because he was so like, yo, this kid is incredible. Listen, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, between those records and then industry guys talking about him, it created a buzz. You know what I mean? Yep. So, and then, yeah, so what about, uh, I was going to ask you, you know, the situation after he passed and uh, with his estate and his, and his mother and trying to deal with the, 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 obviously all his assets or whatever, his music and his catalog, has, that, has, has those things uh, smoothed out over the years a little bit or is there still issues that, that need to be resolved? Um that, that that's, that's not really my place to speak on. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm not, you know, whether I know or not is neither here nor there. Uh, I'll just say that his estate is in a healthy, comfortable place right now. And his mom was able to do business proper and every his family is taken care of. So beyond that, you know, it's yeah. not really for me to speak on. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. With things of great magnitude, there's always going to be issues. I don't care who it is, what it is, whatever. There's mm -hmm. always going to be some type of issue. And people can speculate one side or the other. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. But it's not for me to speak on. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it's just, uh, 
it's it would it, you know it's nice for people to know because there are some uh, pieces of news that have come out over the years that say okay you know things are a little better that at first the information that was out just seemed like dang you know they're having a hard time to actually smooth this stuff out um, mm-hmm. they met they've mentioned um, you know when he was sick and that that you're not always thinking of the documents you need to sign and that kind of thing you're more worried about the, the health of the the individual at the time you know mm. yeah a lot of people you know they they speak on things without knowing the whole picture. And that's understandable because it ain't for everybody to see the whole picture. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, you can't, this entertainment, man, like these people, you know, have emotions about things that they probably shouldn't have emotions about. And, you know, when you speak emotionally, you say things, you understand? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that is conjecture. People can think what they want. People can feel, but the problem is in the world we live in, you can have an opinion and say that as fact. You understand? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that was a lot of opinion being taken as fact. So, yeah, but again, let me reiterate, his estate is, is healthy in a good place right now. And that's good. That's probably that's probably what everybody should focus on. True. No, that's good. And I mean, we're still hearing music uh, that that's important too. To, up to this yeah. day, you know, there's still Dilla albums that are you know compilations. There's not. You've never you've never seen that stop. Right. Hundred percent. Regardless right. of what you heard, regardless of what you heard was going on, it's that that man's legacy can't stop though. Yeah. And that's another thing that makes you think like, okay, like how much music did this guy have? That there's so many albums that are continuing, and I probably expect more. I mean. You know, we know he's prolific in that, but did he really just have like thousands of unfinished beats? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like a yeah. prince, like a guy that just has a vault full of like yeah. I always heard Prince has like 80 uh, albums that he never dropped. I sat I sat and sorted the box, uh, uh the, the vault with his mama and his Damn. team. So yeah, it's it's real, it's real deal. And now did he always have his stuff on an MPC or did he at, at some point like move to a digital audio, you know? Did he work on any Fruity Loops? No, nah, I mean, no, nah, he didn't. I mean, you know, he used, I think, Pro Tools. Yeah. But I don't think he used that to dump. Mm-hmm. Everything he did was, you know, in his MPC and on his keyboards and mm-hmm. with, or his sample or his record player. And you mentioned uh, the song Ma Dukes from um, 48 Hours. In a, I think in another interview, you mentioned that uh, that was actually Dilla playing on a mandolin for that. Yeah. Record. Yeah. So how yeah. how often did he do that? How often did he you know pick up an instrument and actually lay it down himself? I mean, it was it was necessity whenever he needed to. True. Whenever he needed to, like um, welcome to Detroit. Think twice. He played those drums, but he played each part one at a time. He played the kick first, mm-hmm. snare, hi hat. You know what I'm saying? Like he did it all in pieces. Hmm. To get the feel that he wanted. Because he wasn't, you know, he ain't a, a drummer like that. Not that he couldn't play the drums, but, you know, for what he was trying to get to, yeah. in his mind, he could. He, it was better to break it down into pieces. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? So, no, he, I mean, you know, it was a necessity thing. Yeah, whenever it was needed kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. He, he, yeah. he had the, and, and then, I mean, you know, he, he, he had perfect pitch. You know what I'm saying? I think everything in his life was in perfect key, including what he's seen, not just what he hear, you know what I'm saying? Like everything. Yeah. So, uh, so he, you know, 
he could just thumb through whatever. Like if he needed to play a key line or something, he'll just figure it out. It just, I don't know. He was just crazy with that. Just yeah, that's whether amazing. it be a bass, a horn, whatever, he'll figure it out. So we know that uh, eventually he, you know, would collab with Madlib on the J-Lib uh, album and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, other than say Madlib, was there was there a need for him to want to collaborate specifically with producers, or did he like to kind of have control mostly of of, of his beats? You know, was he ever ex- excited by that about collabing, or was it more like you know, let, just shut the door, let me do my beat and kind of thing? No, I mean, I think he um he was a fan. Of other producers and other things. You get what I'm saying? Like Pete Rock and those kind of guys. Oh, well, Pete Rock was, yeah. Pete Rock is his guy. But, you know, Knotts and mm. uh, uh, Large Pro and mm-hmm. obviously Q-Tip and, you know, High Tech. and Like, you know, he, he, he gave kudos to these guys. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, he, he thought highly of these guys. Marley Mall. Like, so he was a fan. So it wasn't about... Like his thing, Dilla didn't want, he wasn't a person, let me be like this person. It's like, ooh, he's dope. Now I'm motivated to go be dope in my way over here. You understand? Yeah. And So it was never, I don't think it was, he never thought like, ooh, like because I put it to you this way, 48 hours wasn't supposed to be a whole Dilla album. Oh. We all sat down and had a list of producers. We had intentions mm. on going after Pharrell and go. We was going. We was oh, going. Dilla was going to do a few, but we was going after other producers. We wanted mm-hmm. to rock wilder beat and all types of stuff. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but it was management and label that said, "Hey, well, maybe you need. You know, y'all need to focus on him doing this and put keep it all in house." And you know, for us, cool. I mean, ain't like the beats gonna suffer because of it. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? So nah, man, like he was very open to other producers and, and, and enjoying other people's art. Yeah. Uh speaking of again the 48 uh, hours album, you guys uh talked about too the sound of the beats was uh somewhat influenced by you guys were end up in the strip club, stuff like that, and sort of the vibe and that kind of have like just to mention like you we talk about how old the album is at this point but uh I, when i dj sometimes these days for younger crowds in that i'll play f- some of those beats in the middle of some you know new industry beats and mm-hmm. it's smooth transition like the the, the the younger people might not know what they're listening to some of them but right but it doesn't stop beats, the flow yeah it, it's a club vibe a lot of those a lot of those songs maybe not a couple of them but um yeah how would you describe that like how did that uh strip club influence come through in the beats i mean it, it was a it was life for us it was part of our daily routine type of thing you know what i'm saying we didn't just go to strip club at the heat of the night you know and throw dollars we would go there at lunch and have you know wings and fries and and a, and a coke you know what i'm saying and just uh get lunch so uh it was part because you know our strip club was like local we knew the people who owned it it was a very comfortable situation for us. And it wasn't just about the naked girls. That was cool, but it was more about the camaraderie and, and just a place where you can be comfortable and have fun and some naked girls. Like you can't beat that. You know what I'm saying? So like it was more, it was more like a business, the, the place of business for us, because you know, it's either the studio or you got to go somewhere to, to do the other things. You know what I mean? So yeah. A lot of people went to the strip club with us and not for the strippers, just because that's what we did, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, in those lyrics and stuff too that you and Dank got going on in some of those tracks is like it's just straight up. Uh, it's a lot of humor, right? It's just vibes and humor. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's vibes fun. and fun. We were we were young, you know, 24, 25 year old dudes. Just got a record Snapping. deal. Everybody got cars with wheels and got gold and jewelry on, and we feeling yeah. good. There's money around. Like that's what it was, man. So like it's it's very real. It, uh, somebody's coming in right now, so you might hear a little other noise. But uh, it was very real. That record was real, bro. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not a. Uh, it wasn't a situation where we had to create a persona. That persona was already there. We were Frank already living it. It was just Frank That's, and Dank. It was already Frank and Dank. And I'm saying you got to look at the songs. Like you know, keep it coming. And 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 the Ma Duke songs is is real. On 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 top of all of the. Uh, uh, you know, strip clubs, girls, and this, that, yeah, and like all and the all lyrics that. are not just that, but yes, you have these other, yeah, um, we have these other well. songs, so we yeah. we cross the spectrum, you understand, 100%. because that was real life for us. Well, it's you know, a classic album still played to this day, of course. Uh, you know, we, appreciate it's that. got appreciate this legacy, that. this history, this mystery, but uh, we we cracked some of the code today. I'm sure we're gonna hear more at uh, Dilla Fest, uh, yes, you will. What you, what about uh, you personally? Any any uh, you're a fan of any certain new artists, whether it's Detroit or say Toronto scene? Any new stuff that you listen to these days? Or? Um, not like honestly, I've been kind of sheltered from yeah. it. Uh, just because like as an artist, I'm kind of transitioning out of just you know the rapper guy. Obviously, picked up the beats and doing the production, but I, I was producing for years before that. But what I'm saying is that. I'm kind of putting it out there at that point. So, but that is just kind of a stop along the way. Like now I do more like behind the scenes, executive things. You get what I'm saying? Like uh, putting out records for artists, uh, you know, uh, putting together tours and, and, and doing events such as Dillafest, because again, I'm hosting, but I'm also producing the show. You get what I'm saying? Like, so mm -hmm. uh, I just haven't been too, uh, how do we say eyes open? I mean, I see. Don't get me wrong. I know what's going on. I, but <laughs> yeah, but it's not like I high school DJ parties where you got to know what tracks to play and all that. And that. Yeah, yeah, and all this at third. And also, I don't really put forth the time. I see what y'all got going on, but I don't. You know, other times when I was younger, you grab, you listen, you listen to an artist and kind of dig into it. Yeah, and I don't have much time to do that anymore. That's true. When you got, you know yeah, you got multiple streams of things going on too, yeah, there's not enough time to do everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's 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 not that I don't see the new artists, and it's some it's some, it's a few dope it's a few dope those things. Yeah, out well, here, you like, got to be excited at least just for Detroit in general because these days, I mean, obviously Detroit is taking I mean, over a lot of the waves. Detroit's doing a lot, doing it. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. Grammy nomination, shout Royce, and, <laughs> and you know what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, the young boys, uh, uh, Grizzly and Sada Baby, and you know. Uh, it's 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 Detroit has a warm uh palette of music right now from all over the place from yeah it's busy the from the OGs to the youngsters mm -hmm. so it's good so project wise or anything what what can we expect next from Frank Nid is uh no spoiler alerts but is there anything uh that people should know about that's coming up oh I don't even know if I want to tell you I got I'm finishing a, a situation right now that's 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 music. And another piece of something to go with the music, Very right? Cool. And I'll just say this: that other than the features, 
other than the people that's on the music, no other hand touched anything about this project. Intriguing. If that makes any sense, huh? It sounds yeah, intriguing. No, yeah, if, they, if 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 that makes sense, no other hand other than the featured artists, no other hand touched this project as a whole, including the other component. So it's so, one hand. You did it with one hand. One of Frank's one, hands. It's, it's, it's Frank. It's, it's Frank's hands. Frank rubbed <laughs> hand across it. Cool. Well, and, uh, Frank, that's it. So Dillafest coming up. People can check that out. That's uh, February 6th. February 6th. Dillafest.com. You get all the information. Uh, get at us on IG at Dillafest. You know, uh, and, and go down to uh, deliciousvinyl.com and get your uh, exclusive J. Dilla merch. You know, uh, that's up there as well. And, and, and you know, support the James DeWitt Yancey Foundation. All these things I'm a part of. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And uh, if they want to follow Frank Knit, it's just Frank Knit uh, on Twitter and Instagram, right? Twitter, Instagram, yep, at Frank Knit. Cool, man. Well, hey, thanks again for the time. It's been cool to dig into some of the history with you. Uh, all the best, and we'll see uh, We'll see you at DillaFest, man. Appreciate you, brother. All right. Take care. Eh? Later. Later.